Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. So last night, Darby Allen, who weighs a, a buck ten wet, was taking on this guy, Brian Cage, who's like almost 300 pounds of just beef. He's just muscle, right? Mm-hmm. And his manager told Darby Allen months ago, that, you know, you lost this match because you didn't know how to use this special type of roll-up pen from the top rope. And because of that, you lost. So let me manage you and let me take care of you. And the guy was like, you're being rude to me. I don't need your help. Then that guy, Taz, went out, got Brian Cage, the big guy. And the little guy was defending his title the other night. And he beat the big guy by rolling him up in the move that the manager said, you don't know what you're doing. So it's just like, it was a beautiful told story over eight months about this guy knows what he's doing. You don't talk down to him just like Scrooge talks down to everybody. And I just, that's, I love, I love storytelling. I love it. This has been your Jimmy transition. <laughs> this has been for this episode. Um, uh, hi everybody. Welcome to Jacob Marley is dead. A podcast that's uh, 99.9% of the time about, uh, Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol and the various adaptations thereof, and that 0.01% of the time about what Jimmy is watching this week in wrestling. Darn right. <laughs> somehow, somehow this podcast has developed a, a wrestling segment, which is not something I expected, although I guess I should have. Yeah, how did um, you not think that was going to happen, John? You know yeah, me, man. I, you know I, it's, me. <laughs> it's true. Like I feel like our friendship has unexpected wrestling segments. Of course. I look, look, I used to do this. I know enough about it and I can see where there are, I you're going to hear friends in this podcast me use terms like heel, baby face, uh, putting somebody over. These are all wrestling terms. So go learn your carny, get updated cuz you're going to need it if you're going to listen to this podcast. Just stay. Well, if you have been listening to this podcast, you know that uh, in the last episode, we were talking about the 1951 Alistair Sim production of A Christmas Carol. And when we uh, left off, Scrooge had just uh, received an unexpected visit from his long dead partner. And uh, also Superman's dad showed up to take him uh, into the past to reveal all of the sins that led him to be the person that he is today. So we're going to be picking it up there. Thanks for joining us here on Jacob Marley is Dead. What was in those-
those ships, all three, on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. And what was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day in the morning? And then we get the ghost of Christmas present right away. So this, they're not wasting any time. Great transition, especially after how freaking long we took with the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. We go right into it with the present. Yeah, goes to Christmas present, and this is going to move at a pretty good clip. So this is one of these moments where um, this next kind of sequence of scenes feels rushed to me, and it's not super long in the book necessarily. There's like there's a lot of kind of repetitiousness to this sequence of the books of just like the ghost of Christmas present showing him over and over and over again what Christmas means to different people, and we don't get a ton of that stuff. We just sort of get the greatest hits. What I think is interesting in this scene when he goes in is like we get this really explicit Jesus reference. Did you notice yeah. that? A little bit, a little bit. Which which we uh, I feel like in the novel Jacob Marley kind of obliquely references like the wise men following a star. Um but it's never like really there's never an explicit like Scrooge you need Jesus in your heart. Like that's never something his redemption is always a, a more one of like you have to change your behavior. There's never a like religious redemptive element no, necessarily in the, the book. You could really separate the faith aspect of Christmas from it's, it's more about the spirit of the holiday and the yeah. charitable aspect of the holiday. Um, that, I mean, Dickens w- wouldn't have understood that then because the idea of happy, you know, happy holidays and stuff like that wasn't there. But that's kind of what he's going for, I think, more in the development. It's more of like, at this time of year, we're all just kind of celebrating. Um, right. But this is a one-to-one, like, Jesus. Yeah. And um, what's well, interesting, because I think the, the ghost mentions this, right, this idea that, like, the spirit of Christmas lives in men's hearts all the year, just as, like, the, the child Jesus lives in our hearts all the year. And Scrooge explicitly says that he does not feel redeemable. Having, having looked at his past, right, he looks at his past and he says, I'm too old to be redeemed. Like, I, go find some young men who can still do some good in the world. So it's interesting that that looking at his past, Scrooge explicitly, like, wishes he could be different, but does not believe that he can be different. Well, he it's it's time again. Time is his great enemy, and he believes that nobody can beat time and that time has already defeated him. Well, and he also, I think at this point, he's only seen the mistakes of the past, which are things you can't change. Um, And I think it's really interesting for me that the ghost of Christmas past is like, okay, here's all the bad stuff, right? Like if this were, if, if Scrooge were in like a 12 step program, this would be like his, his inventory. Like he's looking at like all of the things that he's done wrong. Right. And making this inventory of like all of his bull crap because he has to acknowledge it before he can move forward. And now the ghost of Christmas present is here to show him like, here's like the impact that Christmas and you are having right now. Um, I do not like this ghost of Christmas present. I think this ghost of Christmas present is a weak point of this movie. He's very passive. Um, there's a lot of scenes where he's standing there and he looks literally like they got some guy who was like a set carpenter and dressed him up and just had him stand in a scene because you have Alistair Sim, who's doing a lot of like capital a acting. Like he's really, um, really bringing a lot of nuance and and in his body language facial expression vocal tones of this character um the ghost of christmas present is like obviously dubbed which and most of them are probably dubbed in at this point in history but like there are scenes where he's standing there and looks visibly uncomfortable to be there it's really weird 
he's he's I, he's neither great nor horrible. He's just he is. Yeah, what he is really lacking, I think, is the indictment. I think most versions of this ghost really indict Scrooge with his words. This spirit like says the the. If he was going to die, he'd better do it to decrease the surplus population. We'll see later on. They do the scene with like ignorance and want, but like none of it feels weaponized against Scrooge in the way that it is in the novella. You can cut this bit if you want, John, but he's lacking balls. He's lacking chutzpah to throw this stuff back at Scrooge. Yeah. And he, when you have, if you're going to include the scene with the two children, You've got to make that scene hit. You've got to, because if you don't, it's And it even, really doesn't. It really doesn't, it doesn't hit. All. It doesn't hit. And if you don't, it's worse. It's worse because the audience is creeped out and they don't get the meaning. If yeah, they don't, don't understand why. So, like, if you're going to cut it, fine. It's a weird, abstract idea moment. I, if you're going to cut it, I understand cutting it. But if you're going to do it, Go all the way with it, and they didn't. Yeah, um, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But yeah, this ghost has the same kind of passivity that the Ghost of Christmas Past does. And I think the Ghost of Christmas Past can be kind of passive because the past is passive. You can't change it. Like, it's there. It just exists. Um, whereas I feel like the present should be more, like, vital and... and um, Alive. Alive, right? And this does not feel that way to me. So... We go, we kind of go from, we, it's a different we see order. the scene with, yeah, so we see the scene with the miners, right? We get like the, the, the miners singing a Christmas song. Um, and that's pretty much all we get of that, like journey around the world to see the way Christmas impacts people. And then we go straight to the Cratchit's house. And all those scenes and scenes that are coming up are more voyeuristic and more like Scrooge is not standing there for a lot of these. He's you, yeah. you just get Scrooge and the ghost of Christmas presents POV. And we're just going from shot to shot of people celebrating the season. Yeah. Yeah. So we get a very small Bob Cratchit carrying the very tall, tiny Tim, which I think really was a mistake. It really emphasizes like how not tiny this tiny Tim is. I thought you were going to say the mistake was that Tiny Tim should have been carrying Bob, but okay. On, like, honestly, I almost would have found that more believable. So we get, and and the, the Cratchit family is like as twee and sweet and loving and, and wonderful as they usually are. It's, it's, it's a fine line to being fake and not believable. And yet yeah. I believe, I, I do believe this version of the Cratchit family. It's there. Yeah. It's, I think I think that Mrs. Cratchit is like raw enough, like like her performance is a little bit more haggard, and I think that that sells it because Bob is so like the opposite. Bob well, is so kind and so good, and Tiny Tim is like disgusting. So it's it's. I think that's their dynamic. I think the I, I yeah. think that that's what she finds attractive about him when they eventually when they eventually. When they did meet in the past, it was, I am such a pessimistic about my life. This guy's always so upbeat about everything. Let's have 97 kids together. Yeah. Um, when when Bob comes in talking about Tiny Tim in the church and like how he like seems so much stronger now, Mrs. Cratchit definitely is like, oh, he's like, she knows that Tiny Tim is going to die. I think she's, you see in her face that she is much more aware of the severity of whatever Tiny Tim's illness is, even though Tiny Tim does not give the impression of being sick in any way. Well, I take what Bob is saying there is he's getting stronger every day is 
on one hand, what he does believe and wants to believe, but it's also him asking Mrs. Cratchit, everything's going to be okay, right? Yeah. Like, she's the one that makes the decisions in the household, and she's the one that says what we're going to do, and if she's got a way of, like, this is going to how this is going to work out, he looks to her for these answers, and right. he, he kind of crumbles a little bit in that moment. Is like, oh, oh, he's not going to get better. Okay, he sees it in her eyes, and because yeah. earlier on in the movie, when they're looking at the creepiest toy store, Tiny Tim is a little sick at that moment, and that's like, oh, he is sick, and he's getting yeah. going to get worse. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> there's a. There's like a funny, there's a couple funny things in the scene. So Peter, the older son, is wearing Bob's collar and it looks like he has a radar dish around his head. It's huge. It's like I, comically, it's comically too big. And I think it it reads really well, but it's also like looking at him sitting next to Bob. I'm also a little bit like, could Bob wear that collar? Like Bob is well, not Bob that much bigger that than Peter. Well, they say that that's Bob's collar. That. But no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I almost think they made like a comically extra large one because I feel like even if you took that collar and put it on Bob, it would still look ridiculous. Well, I think that's uh, it's a subtle thing they do in this film, but fashion kind of changes over Scrooge's life. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. Like the hairstyles and and the clothes and stuff. I thought that was really really clever. It was a it was a nice it was a very nice subtle choice. Like and. Fashion did change more radical back then. Like things were yeah. in and out way faster than they are now. Now we're kind of yeah. gotten like, this is what clothes are. This is what I like. Like the standard type of stuff. Yeah. Right? Like the men's suit hasn't changed that much in the last several decades. Since whereas... kind of this movie. Kind of, I mean, yeah. the story, like, you know, like the, the basic format. Um, yeah. So, and I, I like that moment because that's something a kid would do. The kid would wear, his father's clothes from the past, like yeah. if he can't wear anything better or whatever. It was a nice moment. There's so then the next the next thing that I thought was really funny was they do like the God bless us everyone, and then Tiny Tim takes like this big swig of gin, <laughs> and I was like, it was really funny. Like I know that at the time, like like the whole family drinking a gin punch, like was not that big of a deal, but it's really funny to me that like Tiny Tim's like God bless us everyone, and then he takes a shot. Oh, it's and, right. that's not, and that's not his first round. Like, we know they are having two rounds. Oh, yeah. oh. the Cratchits are going to town here with two. So he's got yeah. at least one full cup of gin in him, right? Yeah. So he's yeah. drunk. He's a, he's a drunk kid. And he's just like, yeah, God bless us, everyone. I love you. Uh, I love you, buddy. <laughs> I love uh, you. He becomes drunk, tiny Tim. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. You never want to be like a, a tiny Tim drunk. So then we get like the the world's quickest cut to Fred's party. And I think at this point, you'd almost be forgiven for not remembering who this character is because so little was made of him to begin with. Um, does Fred's wife in this have like major Elizabeth Taylor vibes to you? I kind of, I was getting more Scarlett O'Hara, but yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's definitely like, this is old school Hollywood type of like, like, yeah, they, they were going for gone with the wind here and they settled on Scrooge. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so this, this is really quick. This scene is like here and gone and is just kind of like Fred being like, yeah. So anyway, he said Christmas was a humbug, but whatever, I'll keep inviting him. It's fine. And we don't see much. And they just like move past it really quickly. They, they, they cut, they cut the game out. 
where yeah. they talk shit about Scrooge. They cut out so much of this scene that it almost shouldn't be there. Like, it still needs to be there so that you know that there's a party for him to go to later. But, man, yeah. they don't do Fred in this movie anything. So... This movie is like a is like what is it like 87 minutes long like it's not a super long movie it's an hour and 26 36 minutes something like that like it's something it's, like that yeah it's like a pretty standard length and i feel like they could have made this much longer this could have been a, a good 2 hour movie and i think it would have benefited some of these middle scenes a lot do you think the editor was just editing the movie like going through going through going through got to the end of christmas past was like Okay, what was that? A half an hour screen time? Was like, oh my god! I gotta cut everything out of this movie now. I think that there's like a level of attention to detail in the way that storylines are threaded throughout that makes me think it's intentional. I just think that maybe maybe a two hour like a longer I don't know like in 1951 what this the the prevalence of like longer films was but i mean it's a wonderful life is a pretty long movie right there's nothing short about that and i think it benefits from having room to breathe so it's awesome i mean look this was a this was a uk film i don't i yeah. mean I, I don't know what their budget was i don't know yeah. what they, felt they were allowed like th- it was a hard time they were coming out this is coming after world war ii here folks so there's there's there are still rationing going on in the uk like I'm not saying that necessarily had anything to do with the production here, but it's just something to that's think a, no, about. No, that's that that's an interesting point that they might have had like some constraints. Um, so yeah, uh, we then we we cut and here's the weird thing, right? So we cut like all of Fred's party to have a scene where we see that in the present, Alice, Alice is like a charity worker making the lives of like poor people happy on Christmas. And why? Why is the scene here? What is the purpose of this? I have a, so I, if this was a situation where the film was too long and they had to start cutting stuff or Mm -hmm. somebody thought this was a really bad choice. This is the choice that I'm always afraid of in a Christmas Carol, the bell return, getting back together with Scrooge choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's always on the table. It's always on the table, especially with older versions. And actually a lot of times with newer versions, because everybody's got to find true love. It's right. a bad choice to make. I've only ever seen it work in one adaptation that I can think of of, of uh, the Christmas Carol. I'm, I won't say what it is, but it's pretty famous. This reeks of deleted scenes later on. That they why else would you show this? Why else would yeah. you show this? So I guess it could be like, is it if he had stayed with her, maybe he would have ended up like doing this and making people's lives better. It just Ooh. feels like. Or if she had, stu- or if he had stuck with her, she wouldn't have to be doing this horrible charity work on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Like, I don't think that's what they're saying. But it's like, she, yeah, because she doesn't seem unhappy, and like the people who she's helping are very happy. Like the you old know woman why that's this like, is here? this is the best Christmas I've ever had. You know why this is here? Because in a wonderful life, we've got to see what her life would have been like if they didn't get together, and they were trying to ape that movie a lot. <laughs> So they were like, oh, we got to give like a weird alternate history of like what she's doing now. So let's throw that scene in there. She's a librarian. Oh, that's too on the nose. She's a charity worker. Ooh, they should have yeah, gotten married. It's, it's a little weird. I think I wouldn't, I think I wouldn't take as much issue with it because this movie adds in a lot of extraneous stuff that I think supports the story. 
It just this doesn't, doesn't do anything, though. I don't understand the impact this is supposed to have on Scrooge, and I don't understand why we do this instead of, like, Scrooge realizing that going to his nephew's Christmas party would be a lot of fun. You know what the, I mean? The only reason the scene should be there is if you're going to make the bad choice and have them get back together again. Right, right. And that's the bad choice, so I'm happy they don't do that, but why the hell is this scene in there? Yeah, it's know, very weird. He should With how nothing. rushed this whole sequence is, this feels so out of left field and unnecessary. And 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 look at how long we're talking about this scene that is probably less than a minute, but it's such yeah. a it's it sticks out so bad, like a sore thumb, that it's like, oh no, get it out, get it out. I don't yeah. want it out of here. Yeah, weird stuff. So um and we get kind of like the cut to the ignorance and want scene and uh, the, the spirit asks Scrooge after seeing Alice in the charity worker place, like, does this have any impact on you? Right. And Scrooge is like, no, like, this isn't going to change me. And then he's like, OK, so maybe this will. And he shows the kids underneath the robe. And it's kind of like, yeah, this is ignorance in one. Uh, they cling to me. Um, beware them both. But beware this boy ignorance. Anyway, see ya. Like that's like it feels so abrupt. There's so little attention paid to it. Um it feels you like it's there because it has to be there, not so much that it's there because it is meant to have impact in this moment. There's just something in the way that it's presented that doesn't read for me in a way that it does in a lot of other versions. Scrooge doesn't react. Scrooge doesn't really interact with them. He doesn't acknowledge yeah, them. We don't we don't really see his inner his his like we don't see his face so much. It, like if I think the other the other problem there, is that I think this ghost is too passive. Like the ghost does not feel antagonistic towards Scrooge in a way that this is like the final blow. It just feels like, oh, here's another thing. Look at these kids under my robe. That's weird, right? Ain't that creepy? <laughs> and that's the thing. If you make it, if you really commit to that this moment in the book, right? If you commit to doing this. It won't feel creepy because everyone will get what's going on there. But if you half it, right? If you half it, it it's just this insanely off-putting moment and it doesn't land. And yeah, this movie is so close to being the best version of A Christmas Carol. And yet um, moments like this, moments like the previous scene that doesn't need to be there, it just, those moments stop it from being what I think a lot of people think of it as, which is a really classic version of it. And here the stage has been set for the appearance of the Ghost of Christmas yet to come. However, before we get to that, we have to take a minute to pay our clerk. So everybody stick around for this quick ad read and we'll be right back. If I stopped you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me ill-used if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Cheers hmm? only once a year, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Yes, Hi, everybody. If you're anything like me, you've been listening to podcasts pretty much as long as podcasts have been a thing. And you've always dreamed that one day you would find a topic you were really passionate about and you would make that dream podcast yourself. Unfortunately, in today's day and age when everybody and their mom and their mom's dog has a podcast and there are so many different podcast hosting platforms to choose from, it can be a little bit difficult to find something that fits both your needs and your budget. And that is where Anchor comes in. If you are someone just breaking into the podcast scene and you're looking for a place to uh, get started hosting your podcast, Anchor is a great choice. For starters, it's totally free. 
There's no charge to host the files that you need for your podcast. It also has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you're someone who hasn't broken into using GarageBand or Audacity or a more professional program to record your podcast... Anchor has all of the tools you need to record right from your phone or computer. Anchor also provides seamless distribution to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms, so it's really easy for you to reach a broad audience. If you're looking to monetize your podcast, you can do so with no minimum listenership through Anchor. Just record an ad and put a sponsorship segment in your show, and you're good to go. It's everything that you need to make a podcast right in one place. If you want to get started recording that podcast you've always dreamed about today, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So... Scrooge kind of runs off into the streets away from like the voice of the spirit kind of is like echoing at him with the are there no children are there no prisons are there no workhouses and he runs and then he like stops because there's this hand that kind of comes into frame to stop him and it's cool because we don't see the spirit we don't actually see what the ghost of Christmas future looks like at first we just see Scrooge's reaction to it. And him saying kind of like, you're the scariest thing I've ever seen, but kind of show me where to go. And then we pull back to reveal the ghost as the ghost like turns and sort of points out towards um, their destination. I thought it was really effective. Like this ghost with just like the, this is an actor with very good expressive hands and then just a black robe. And it's a very standard version of this, but I thought that the way that the hands moved, it was eerie like it definitely plays really well for a classic take on this character well it's not a robe in the traditional sense of like you know it's like a shroud right it's a death shroud it's a death shroud it's which i like that choice i almost wish though that they had kept it to only the hand i kind of would have liked it to you never see what scrooge is looking at and you just see a little bit of the robe and the hand it would have looked better like it again it doesn't look bad but it would have been it sometimes not showing the character is the best part. I mean, Jaws, for God's sakes. Like, yeah, you don't yeah, sh- that's the that's the classic. It's always scary. Like the thing you don't see is always scary. So just show me cousin it or not cousin it uh, thing. Right. You just just show me thing pointing yeah. at stuff. And I was legit creeped out by that. And if yeah. I can be creeped out at another version of a Christmas Carol at 33 years old, you're doing something right there, friends. Yeah. Commit to that yeah. choice. They don't. It's still good. But man, it was really good there for like five seconds. Yeah. Um. So we go uh, for the Ghost of Christmas Future rather than than going back to like the guys at the exchange. We go right away to Tiny Tim is dead. We get like a nice split focus shot of of Peter reading from the Bible. I almost didn't recognize him because he didn't have his radar dish on anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get like Mrs. Cratchit looking really worn down in her black, like morning clothes, knitting in the background. And this scene plays out pretty much the way that it usually does. Um, Bob comes in and he's talking about how at the grave of tiny Tim, he felt like Tim was standing next to him and like holding his hand and telling him not to grieve. And, and at first I was like, wow, Bob, like calm down. Like you gotta like, don't tell your wife not to cry. And, but then he breaks down and it's this great moment where this character who's been really optimistic and like bright eyed finally cracks 
and it really pays off. Like, I think the way that he's played Bob throughout this movie as very like kind of calm and, and bright and optimistic to have it come to this moment where he, he breaks and he can't maintain that anymore really, really plays well for me. They earned it. They earned this moment in this film. They, and it's a, it's a twofold because when he breaks down, Mrs. Cratchit breaks down as well. And right. they, yeah. and they embrace and look, this relationship, this dynamic can be played and we'll see it as we go through the series a lot of different ways. But when it's played just right, moments like this, it's it's beautiful and tragic all at the same time. And I cried. I, 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 I cried when I saw that. I and it's nothing new. It's nothing new. We yeah. all know this story. But if you execute it correctly, if you do it, you build it and everything lands just the way it needs to. It yeah, works. I think I think the one thing that lets it down for me is that I don't I never felt Tiny Tim's frailty outside of the way people talked about it. Right. I just no. don't think that the, the, the casting choice for Tiny Tim in this lets down this moment a little bit where you never feel his like impending death outside of the fact that it's kind of obliquely referenced. So, John. You, you this is a good time to talk about as any you mentioned earlier you like tiny tim's performance i personally was indifferent if not thought it was a little not quite right like there was a maybe that was just the size of tiny tim i would have rather had the physical representation of tiny tim than even a better actor like i i, I think you the visual yeah. is what you need with tiny tim yeah. more than anything yeah. else you can you can adr a freaking uh you you just put in afterwards God bless us, everyone, with a better actor. But you need that visual there. And and I think that's why you're right, John. It didn't land quite as well. Yeah. So we cut from them to uh to old Joe in the rag shop where where Mrs. Dilber and the and the Undertaker. So it's interesting, right? Because we get the same Undertaker character who was kind of Weasley when when Marley died, now being Weasley, now that spoiler alert, Scrooge has died. Um, and we get uh the the charwoman, Mrs. Dilber, and we get the the laundress and they come in. Um, this old Joe has like a bunch of child workers in his shop, which I thought was real. What did I write? Okay. I wrote something. I was like, oh, yeah. What did I write? The worst freaking room in the world. This there is nothing good happening in that room. OK, I don't yeah. know exactly what's going on there, but I don't want to know. That is... Yeah, I mean, it's basically like piles of like rags and junk. And it seems like he's got these like little kids it's... sorting through all of it. It's Fagin-esque, right? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think it's definitely like visually name checking Fagin and Fagin's gang. It's Fagin. It's also like the part of Industrial Revolution where children were just tools, you know, Yeah, which yeah, is yeah, a good yeah. reference yeah. there. It's also like we need him to be the wor- one of the worst people we can see, right? right. Like this guy... And they do. There's it. also there's a there's an implication too that this is that this guy existing is kind of Scrooge's fault, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like because of these industrialists, because of the the callousness that the wealthy have towards the poor. This guy, this like weird greasy weasel guy, exists making children sort through scraps for his like shop in Whitechapel or wherever it is. There, he he's taking advantage of the fact that he can exploit these kids, and right, it's horrifying. And I also want to reference. So you mentioned the housework keeper, right? The housekeeper, mm-hmm. Scrooge's one that was Marley's, right? She is a de- she's very kind and nice 
when she comes to get Scrooge early on in the movie. Yeah. But seven years of working for that bastard Scrooge made her cold, dark, and unfeeling. And yeah. I love that choice. That and is I, yeah. wonderful. I think it... I think it makes because the one thing that I always felt was like, so does Scrooge like when when and Scrooge like, you know, has this experience. And then like the next time he talks to his housekeeper, is he like, hey, I know you're going to like steal my bed curtains or whatever. I always felt a little bit like there needed to be kind of a moment of, of redemption for their relationship, which we'll get to in a second. Here. Oh, but yeah. Oh, so, so good. I mean, and, and I think this scene plays out. I mean, it's pretty much like word for it's word. Standard. From the I, I got, yeah, it not nothing actually about it after the establishing shot was memorable it was very much by the beats but i like the choice of the housekeeper being established earlier so you see her fall from grace in a sense and that joe is the second or worst character in the uh, you know jerk face and him are horrible two sides of the same coin and horrible people yeah. And then we get then we cut back to the guys at the exchange. So the same two gentlemen he was talking to at the beginning. Um, and again, this scene pretty, pretty much plays out the way that it usually Standard. does, where they're like, uh, it's going to be a cheap funeral. I'll only go if I get fed. And what I think is interesting is like the way that they play this that normally this is the first scene that the ghost shows him. So the idea of this dead man is like on his mind the whole time, but instead they, in this version, they gradually build him up to it where it's like tiny Tim is dead. Right. And he feels bad about that. And then like, there's the scene with the housekeeper and the weirdness where it's like, he should be able to kind of put two and two together and figure out what's going on, but he doesn't. And then it's in seeing that he's not in his usual spot in the exchange that he's like, well, why am I not here? It's this should, the the order of the scenes is all wrong here. It should, it should, it should be exchange. Why am I not there? Question Joe Cratchit. It should always be Cratchit before graveyard. You know, because Right. So I feel like if you put the Bob Cratchit sequence right before the graveyard, it becomes like Scrooge's remorse becomes less about his own death and more about what he could have done to help Bob. But I feel like if you put Tiny Tim's death at the beginning and then have all these other scenes playing out, it does make it like this version when he gets to the grave and sees his own name. It really reads to me like I don't want to die and that's it. Which is always the There's wrong way. There's something about it that doesn't click for me. You never want, because that's the argument people always have, um, that his breakdown is because he died and he forgot that he was going to die eventually, which is the stupidest way of doing that scene. It's not about his death. It's that when he gets to that graveyard, he is, how do I say this properly, Jimmy? Dickens, work through me. It's that he can't do anything about what he has seen. Right. It's this, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same thing that was happening with the ghosts at the beginning where they want to intercede, but they can't, he doesn't want to lose his opportunity to intercede. And I feel like we've gotten this, this kind of name drop of the idea that he feels like he can't be redeemed. And it's only in this moment when he realizes like, if he still has time, there's still something he can do. Right. That the only time he can't be redeemed is when he dies. I think that reads. But again, yeah, I feel like this version is let down a little bit in that it says like the moral feels in this moment like he is more concerned with the fact that he's going to die, right? that he might already be dead. And there's nothing in Sim's performance that means it can't be. You could just reorganize the scenes, literally just just put them in the order we've been talking about. 
and you get a much better graveyard seed. Okay, this could have been fixed yeah. in editing. Yeah, or going to maybe... the graveyard, I think, with the weight of Tiny Tim's death right there. Mm-hmm. But we also like there's a little bit of a of a. I think this film doesn't handle ti- like we've talked about Tiny Tim the casting. I think that this film also doesn't give Scrooge enough time to like see Tiny Tim. Right, he asks the Ghost of Christmas Present about Tiny Tim like before Tiny Tim has even entered the scene. I don't know. There's something to me that felt disconnected there where I didn't think they gave Scrooge enough time to feel empathy for Tiny Tim and to feel a desire for Tiny Tim to survive. It to feels like an afterthought. credit, this film told us what it was about in the title. It's not a Christmas carol. It's Scrooge. It's all about Scrooge and yeah. only Scrooge. Tiny Tim and Fred are afterthoughts. So we don't get to spend as much time with them or we don't really yeah. get to see their interaction. We're focusing. That's why it's all his past. It's all that. I mean, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Missed opportunity. Um, Missed opportunity. The, the general, like the ending of this kind of ghost of Christmas past, or I'm sorry, Christmas future sequence is pretty standard. He sees the grave and he's like, please, I want to live. Like I, there's a, I, I'll change. And then he wakes up in his bed. And what I think is interesting is normally this sequence is like him talking to himself. And instead, he's talking to Mrs. Dilber. Yeah. And he doesn't say some of the key lines. He doesn't burst the windows open and go, what to, what's today to the boy? Yeah, he asks, he asks Mrs. Dilber. He's like, hey, what right. day is it? And she's like, it's Christmas. What are you talking about? Like, leave me alone. I'm doing my job. And yet it works. And sh- and. This is almost a near perfect scene between the two of them because his, you know, his joy and his celebration of not being you know, that he has time. Time yeah. is no longer his enemy. Time is his ally and he can use it to make right his wrongs. And he's going to do that. So he's he, he's he's on the moon excited with, about over this. And she's freaked out like she one hundred percent believes he had a mental breakdown. And yet. Unlike some other versions, he's not a jerk to her. He's sympathetic. And he rushes to her to kind of be like, no, look, look, look. And he has this scene on the stairs that's beautiful. It's, oh. Yeah, so she runs out of the room, right? Because he's doing this, he's like kind of talking crazy talk and he follows her down the stairs and he's like, no, 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 listen, I'm, I'm not crazy. I promise I'm not crazy. And then he gives her a Guinea, right? And this is, it's Chekhov's Guinea because he's, he's throughout this film, like has been really cheap when it comes to like paying an extra penny for this or an extra penny for that. And then in the end, like the very first gift that he gives, the first Christmas gift that he gives is to give his housekeeper a whole Guinea, which is like a lot of money as a gift, Right. He's like, it's a Christmas gift. Here you go. Merry Christmas. And he's also like, what do I pay you? And I think he pays like what she say, like four, four shillings or something. He's like, oh, well, we'll make it 10. That's fine. <laughs> and- so it's double plus, which is OK. Yeah. I would have gone with double, but all right, Scrooge. And he has this moment. It's like, I'm not mad, but I look mad. And he plays with his hair. Yeah. But there's this the way he delivers the lines to her is so kind. Like he mm-hmm. plays the eccentric Scrooge up, but he also is still there and he has this moment where he connects with her and it's so warm and love lovely. And you could have rolled credits at that moment almost. It would I mean you still have yeah. work to do, but it was like, oh, it's gonna stick. It's gonna work. Oh, yeah. it's awesome. It was it was so nice. It was it Yeah, was- and I think that the 
the magic trick of Alistair Sim being able, like he is both really convincing as like this sad, miserable Scrooge Mm -hmm. and also very convincing as this like bright, rejuvenated Scrooge um, in a way that I think like with some actors, this latter version, I think it's a hard needle for them to thread because they've spent so much time in the shoes of like miserable Scrooge that being nice Scrooge is tough. And I think Alistair Sim, like something about his face, it really works for both like the dour and the pleasant. Um, what we do not get in this version, at least I don't know if I was taking notes and missed it. He never um, meets up with the charity collectors again. No, no, he doesn't. And that's, that's a, that's a, big I found miss. it really interesting for a movie that I think does a lot of like setup and payoff. Like this version does a lot of, of setup and payoff, but it has two very like conspicuous examples of that not happening. One with the, the kind of second scene with Alice where she's sort of dropped in and he sees her, but like nothing ever comes of it. And the other is like, he never pays those charity workers, which is like a big thing, right? That, I'm, that I'm, kind I'm of t- bookends the story. I'm telling you, John, they got into the editing room, realized how long the Ghost of Christmas Pass was taking, and they cut they cut him. They cut him. Yeah. I don't know what they were gonna do with Alice, but they I were gonna do something. I almost feel like that Mrs. Dilber sequence, like him giving Mrs. Dilber the the guinea and like raising her pay, that almost stands in, right? To show like he's he will now pay way too much money to charity and and to things, but it makes yeah, it more personal. But I don't you know. Don't, it, it's but weird. you don't have it's the charity scene unless you're gonna have that moment later on where he pays back for past right. Like, like he, you don't if you don't have that in there, then what the hell? Come on, guys. Yeah, that, yeah. That, then it's just an excuse standard. for him to say that thing about like the surplus population. Right, but you need that. You need to have the other side of that. So it, it it's. He redeems himself like you right. need to have both. Right. Yeah. Um, so he sends the he buys the turkey for the Cratchits and then Tiny Tim's like, I think it's from Mr. Scrooge because of the magic of Christmas. And I want to be like, oh, OK. Can we swap actors? Can we get the Tiny Tim guy playing the kid on the street and the kid on the street playing Tiny Tim, please? I, I kid you not, James. I have that written in my notes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I ha- like because honestly, it would have worked better. Like, in, like, I think in both cases, like I think having the kid who played Tiny Tim be the kid in the street, because the kid in the street is definitely like a smaller, like younger. I don't know. It's weird to me. OK, OK. Like you said, Tiny Tim was a, had a good performance. He definitely didn't have any worse or better performance than the kid on the street. I got to tell yeah. you, here, here's what happened. Tiny Tim was the producer's nephew. OK, <laughs> he's got to be Tiny Tim. And the kid in the street was the kid that they wanted to cast as Tiny Tim when they got overruled by the producer. Now, nah, give him a bit part. I'm telling you, there are some shenanigans going on in this movie. <laughs> shenanigans. 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 I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. Yeah, there's a line where he says that turkey's twice the size of Tiny Tim, and I'm like, that's a big turkey in this case. Yes. That turkey's going to be <laughs> the size of a house. Um, and the kid, well, let's talk about the size of this turkey. The kids on the street says the one that is twice as big as me. Okay. Yeah, it's not a very big turkey. Like it's when they when they turkey. ultimately get it to the house, it's pretty scrawny looking. I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't did work. Did it shrink for me. on the way over there, or did the butcher keep the one for himself and be like, yeah, they'll never know, and give the crap one to the Cratchits? Like, yeah, I saw yeah. what the Cratchits were eating earlier. It's not that much bigger. 
Yeah. Um, so then we get we get the scene where Scrooge goes to Fred's party and simultaneously, I think one of like the better moments and one of the more perplexing moments of this movie, the scene where Scrooge kind of comes in and he's giving his like hat and coat to the servant girl and then he's like getting ready to go into the parlor and she and he looks back at the servant girl like, can I do this? And she gives him like an encouraging nod. I was like, that's such a cool choice that Scrooge feels like a little bit outcast, like a little bit like he doesn't belong in this place. Alistair Sim plays it so well. There's this sad, like that sad awkwardness of this like old kind of outcast relative trying to like kind of come to his senses that and I really the, enjoyed. And the housekeeper is really good in that scene as well. Yeah. Like like the two of them, I don't mean to say anything against any of the other performers in this movie, but like the quality of that moment alone is so much better than a lot of the other stuff going on here. Like right. the subtlety and the, the just the vibes they're giving. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful scene. It's a great scene. But weird so, vibes, weird vibes go into the next scene because right. What? So what is so going he, on here? What's so he done? comes in and 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 he's like fred is it too late to accept your invitation and fred's like really excited about it and then fred like almost immediately gets sidelined for scrooge to have this like really heartfelt apology with fred's wife who is barely a character in this movie it is such a bizarre moment that feels like and especially when they really set up like scrooge has regrets over not taking care of his nephew but like scrooge does not apologize to his nephew he apologizes to his nephew's wife and fred is like but, not but in he, the shot but but it, it's creepy too because like he's looking at her right and the way he did and the vibe i got was like I said you couldn't marry her because she had, like, no money. But now looking at her, oh, my God, Fred, high five, bro. Like, get I, in yeah. there, buddy. Like, I, I think you could you could read it as, like, that kind of male gaze, which wouldn't be, like, out of character for Charles Dickens. To me, it's just weird that it's weird that that this level of emotional vulnerability is directed at her instead of towards Fred. Well, look, it really doesn't make sense to me. It's 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 a it, weird... fe- it feels like an excuse to like put this like very this pretty actress like she's not she's really beautiful in this kind of like soft filter shot. I don't know. It's very bizarre. They do this a lot in different versions where they really make and you could definitely tell the versions that are trying to be like this, where it's like they really lay, lay into that moment. Like right. I go, I don't want to go into it, but I can clearly think of one adaptation in the future that apes a lot from this movie, and I'm gonna say it, and you can cut it if you want. But in Scrooge, right? Yeah, there is a very big moment in the final scene where he says, like, he kind of says hello, whatever the his, you know the nephew's wife is. It, uh, you can cut this, but it's like they always like. You can tell who is aping who, and it's a weird choice, and I don't... Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, weirdness, but he, like, kind of enjoys the party and dances with with his his niece-in-law, and it's it's a nice moment. Like, it's nice to see him kind of accepted, and we get to see that he, like, still remembers how to dance from when he worked at Fezziwigs, which I think is, like, a good callback. Uh, just that moment is so weird to me. And then we finally get to the counting house. And this scene again kind of plays out the way it usually does i almost wanted a little bit more 
warmth towards Bob at the end. He's I think trying. there's he's he, he's definitely trying, but I think it's I don't know. Like I always think of Bob as like the character he's most directly making miserable. So I always want that to be like a big moment and it felt it was a little bit more subtle in this than I usually like to see, but I I think he doesn't know how to do it. He yeah. doesn't he uh, Yeah, do that's it. true. He's he, and that's what kind of leads into one of my favorite lines, which is after he sends Bob out to get the coal, you know, mm-hmm. he goes, I don't deserve to be this happy, but I am. And yeah, I can't help it. I can't help it. And he does. And like, so, and I, that, you know, you could say like, oh, nobody should be this happy. It's silly to be this happy. What he's saying is with all the bad I have done and what I was, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be filled with this spirit, but I am. And he's going to keep it the year round. Right. There's there's almost like a way he can't help, but like he, and it's nice because I think it acknowledges like he having that line in there really shows that he knows that, that he has done terrible things that he doesn't feel like he doesn't feel like those things don't matter now, but he also is cognizant of the fact that like he has an opportunity to move forward. And I also, it's a weird, I, I feel that way sometimes too. John, like I have moments in my life where either because of my privilege, uh, just for frame of reference, I'm a straight white guy. So like I, I and middle class. So like I sometimes feel guilty about being happy, but I, you know, and I don't know exactly if it's one to one, but like I, I have had those moments where like, I know like the world sucks, but I, I, and I know I'm, I'm privileged and, but I, I'm still happy, but like I can find like, it's, it's weird. I, I connected with that line in a lot of different ways. And I really, really, really liked that ending. I, well, yeah. except for the closing shot of this movie, <laughs> which was that the weird business where he picks up tiny Tim and like shakes his leg around. Is yeah, that what you're talking about? And that's not, that's not Scrooge. That's some stunt double there picking him up. Cause he can't yeah, get Alistair that kid Sims up there. Not picking up that. No, of course pound not. Child. Oh um, my God. Yeah, but we get basically like Scrooge like walking down the street and saying hi to all the shopkeepers and stuff and like Tiny Tim calling him Uncle Scrooge and running up and and God bless us, everyone, etc. There was Um, an opportunity for a bit here that they didn't do and I was very upset. So Scrooge passes a blind man, right, uh with a tin and he gives him a coin. And I really wish what they did was Scrooge walks by, the guy takes his glasses off turns to look at Scrooge and be like, was that Scrooge? Like, that's a yeah. great thing. Like, like, that's, like, like that needs to be there in some version. And I'm hoping that happens eventually. Like, I want that, that bit where... That's actually he, really funny. It's a great... I like. I was like, do it, do it, do the... Ah, oh, they didn't do it. It's a, I'm on the lookout for that bit happening in one of these movies. I don't know if it's gonna happen, but I yeah, want that to Yeah, where the blind man's, like, faking, but he, like, kind of, like, lets his guard down. Oh. Um, And that's the end. Yeah. So, Jimmy, I have a couple questions for you. Oh, yeah? Um, In this film, who or what gets your Christmas goose? Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one. The one as big as me? What a delightful child. <laughs> yes, my book. I think my... I gotta go with... Uh, I gotta go with Scrooge. I think it was one of... The- he was wonderful. He was, 
if we, you know, we, we we went through this movie and we talked about like, you know, some things were weird, some choices were wrong, but the the thing that keeps this going and the reason why I think this movie has stood the test of time with all of its faults was his performance. I think you said yeah. it best, John. He plays every aspect of Scrooge correct. You know, like, yeah. and hints at at the beginning, you see how much he is suffering. You see that his life is, he could, you could play Scrooge happy and still being a jerk. You know, like that, like he's, right. ha- he's slightly whiplash, right? He's not. This man is leading a horrible yeah, life. Yeah, he seems pretty like, miserable. Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge is amazing in this version. Uh, and I love it. All right. Uh, my Christmas goose actually, so it's funny. I went back and forth. I was thinking Alistair Sim. That was part of, that was, that was my first consideration. But then I thought, uh, what I'm really going to give it to in this is the extra scenes from the ghost of Christmas past. I think, yeah, I, I think that getting to see why Scrooge went from being like apprentice to Fezziwig to being this like cold hearted, that's something in the, in, in the, in the novella, something that always fell short for me was like, if Scrooge was apprenticed under Fezziwig and saw like how Fezziwig ran his business, how did he become this person who was so focused on wealth um, acquisition and so cold hearted about it? And I think having that Mr. Jorkin character in there to lead him astray in the midst of this crisis over his sister's death really sold that transition for me. I liked seeing those extra steps of how he became what he became. And I think if this was a slightly longer movie that could have given a little bit more space to the next two ghosts, I would say it's like my favorite version of this story. For me, I think, I think Alistair Sim is good. I also had a feeling you might pick Alistair Sim. So I was like, well, we don't want to double up. Nothing wrong with double it up here. Cause that performance he's is so good, but I agree. I see what you're saying there, John. I think, I think I would have had a more of appreciation for those earlier scenes if they didn't take as much time away from the other two ghosts. I I feel like we got ghost of Christmas future is a great interpretation of it. It's in the wrong order. And I feel like probably feeling it feels worse because it's feeling rushed and ghost of Christmas present so far. And Oh, I, I could go on about him for a long time. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's, let's talk about, uh, What's getting a lump of coal from you this year? All right. The my least favorite thing in this movie was the cutback scene to Alice. Okay? Okay. Because it took me out of the movie. Because I was worried because it doesn't need to be there. It doesn't need to be there. And yeah. I was really afraid that it was gonna do what I hate, which is the reunion scene between Scrooge and Alice or Belle his love, his lost love from his past. It was a bad, look, nothing about the scene itself is a necessarily a bad like execution. She's a wonderful actress. It's a good performance, but my God, it serves no purpose for the film. You, and you could take that scene out and give that time to any number of things. The charity workers can come back at the end and have just a 30 second scene with Scrooge for what he needs to do. It doesn't need to be there. It reeks of somebody was going to make that bad choice. And they finally, they, they chickened out or they realized like whatever you want to interpret, but they got away from it, but they kept the scene in there. It, the movie does not benefit from having that scene in there at all. 
my, so my lump of coal goes to the ghost of Christmas. Uh, yeah. Present. That, um, his performance entirely too passive for me. The whole sequence itself felt a little bit short. I, I think it, at every step along the way, it just doesn't work. Even when he's first introduced, the way that he is performing feels very weird. Um, I don't know. For me, it's a it's a character from the story that I really enjoy that really fell flat. It, what, what's what's even worse is it's not even too bad. It's good. Like there, there, there's yeah, it's just it's just dull. It's, it's just standard, not standard, and it's not even standard good. It's standard mediocre. Like it's like it's like, and yeah. so because of that, I forgot that I didn't like the performance. Even you know, like that's the thing, John. I, yeah, I didn't remember it at all until you yeah. bring bringing it up. In hindsight, maybe that would would have been my coal, you know. But like, it's so yeah. forgettable of performance. All right, so my final question for you, James. Is this a movie that you see uh, in your Christmas future, or would you rather keep this in the Christmas past? Oh, that's tough. Because for Sims, yes, I would keep it. But I'm going to have to put it in my past, and I'll tell you why. There are other versions out there that I know do things that I like in this version better. And also the choices that they make that don't land do drag it down. And I don't think it holds up for modern audiences. I think it's very old. It feels old. It's if I tried to show this to my niece and nephews, they would not watch it. And not saying that it always has to be the case. I'm I'm a big silent movie buff. And I know those don't work for modern audiences. But I think that there's a lot there's there's more good here than bad. But the bad does drag it down. So this is my ghost. This is in the past. This is in the past. Right. John, for you? Um, I think I think I could see this in my Christmas future. I, I don't know that this is ever going to be my like go-to version. I But I, I appreciate the way that the stuff, the sequences that they added, the little details that they added, um, enhance the story for me a little bit, give me some, some insight into this character that I thought um, I had a lot of insight into already. Um, so for that reason, I think it's, it's definitely one that I, I could see myself watching again in the future. I don't know that it would ever, like I said, I don't know that it's ever going to be my go-to version. I think there are other versions that just do this slightly better for me on certain elements. Um, but I liked it overall. I thought it, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I thought it had a lot of really good, um, a lot of really, really redemptive. When this things. movie shines, when this movie is hitting on all cylinders, though it's like the best of a Christmas Carol. Like when you're trying to make a Christmas Carol yeah. adaptation, when it's doing its best, it's the best version of a Christmas Carol. The scene on the stair with the I with think... the with the, um, with the house worker and Scrooge. That's the best version of that scene I've ever seen. Actually. Uh, Scrooge is amazing. Well, it's probably the, the only B- version. Bob is good, but Tiny Tim is not that great. Um, there are certain things yeah. that shouldn't be in the movie. Um, not the character development stuff like you said in the past. That's all good. And those are some good choices there. But we don't need to see a lot of the stuff we see in the present. And we don't even get to see that much in the present. So the stuff that he put there, like the Alice scene, is all, it's like, it, that's why it's my cold. It's like, this could be time devoted to other stuff. And yeah. it just, there's just enough there that I don't think it's 
in my future. But I see, yeah. I think I think largely this this movie benefits from being an early adaptation because I, I I think that there is now kind of a visual language of a Christmas Carol on film that exists. So it's it's difficult to find versions that are in in any way extremely different from each other. Whereas this this felt fresh to me, the way that a lot of the scenes were approached, the way that many of it many of its scenes were staged, regardless of whether I thought they worked for the story, I thought that it had a um, it definitely felt like a version that was a little bit free of the tropes of a Christmas. Well, I think it was also established, which is interesting because it's such a well. And yeah, that, too, I think there there are films that have built on the foundation that this version set and kind of flew away with it. There are versions that have kind of wallowed in a lot of the the things established by this movie. Um, but there are definitely ways in which I think this really has carved out a place for itself. I, I agree. I think that there are things that this film does, like I said, that when, and there's a reason for that, John, there's a reason for other movies taking from this. It's when it gets right, it gets, it knocks out the park, but just certain things about it don't quite land. I can forgive them because I'm a fan of older movies, but I don't think I don't think this is the version I would want to go back to and rewatch. I can go back and rewatch certain scenes from this and get something out of it. But overall, a good movie and a good adaptation of A Christmas Carol. But I don't think it's it's not my it's not what I would want as my standard. It's a lot of good, but I, there's more to be done and we'll see more in the next episode. Yes, we will. John, what are we watching next time on uh, this uh, show? Jacob Marley is dead, old chum, old friend. Uh, next uh, next time on the show, we're going to be watching A Christmas yeah. Carol. Yeah. A Christmas Carol. Um, specifically, we're actually going to be watching Scrooge the Musical. Oh, boy. Starring Albert Finney. So if you are a listener, if we somehow have a listener three episodes in and you want to watch uh, ahead of listening to the podcast, look up scrooge the musical featuring albert finney um i'm I'm excited i haven't watched this version since i was a child um yes so i i have no i know it exists i know i've seen it but i don't remember the music i don't remember really anything about it so i'm i'm looking for i am looking forward to seeing it i have no idea if i'm gonna like it hate it or indifferent to it but uh, I, I, am, I am ready to go. And I got to tell you, John, getting through, we just got out of 2020, a little behind the curtain here, friends. We are just one or two days into 2021. It's still the same vibe out there, but what, going through and rewatching A Christmas Carol definitely is improving my days. All right. Well, I think that's about it there, sir. So uh, I think we uh, should be uh, hitting the road. So in the words of Tiny Tim. God bless us. Everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.